0: Kia ora, I'm Zoe. I run the youth program here. I'm also a theology student, so I handed in my honours dissertation just about about a month ago now, um, so all exciting. I've also, I have been dating Matt for seven years, but um <laughs> married for some. Uh, it's not even been that long, it's just like, it's not, it's like one, uh, one yeah, one and a half, something like that. Um, Counting is Matt's thing, I deal with words. (laughs) Um, And so today we're talking about Luke 11. So over the past few weeks, I've sort of been going on this journey through the book of Luke. And um, if you don't know, there's a lot in the book of Luke. So I've sort of been focusing on a chapter a week, but really just like a little part of each chapter. But I thought I would start by giving a summary of all of what's happening in the book of Luke, and it will be a very, very quick summary because I have many things I want to say. So the chapter opens, with talking about the Lord's Prayer, which is Jesus teaching us how to pray and sort of demonstrating the development of a personal relationship with God. He then talks about the good gifts, and this is outlining the sort of Father that we have, the sort of God that God is. He's one that gives good gifts to us. Then this is demonstrated through the casting out of demons. This is an example of the good gifts that God gives because it's him giving the gift of freedom to the people. He is condemned and judged for this, people saying, oh, he's evil because he has this, but he's actually casting out evil to replace it with good, which is what he says to them. In response to this condemnation, he talks about how the only sign that they will get will be the sign of Jonah. Now, this sign of Jonah is uh, one that's given to Nineveh. It's the call to repentance for the people. Then he talks about the light and sort of has this little thing about the light, and this is like what happens if they do repent, so turn around in their ways, and step into the kingdom of light instead of into the kingdom of darkness, and how the light dwells and shines out of us if we do that, and then we have the woes to the Pharisees and the lawyers, and he uh, rebukes the Pharisees and the lawyers, uh, and essentially he's calling them to repent and change their ways and align with God again because while they might have been in step once they're not really in step anymore and from that there are sort of two main themes that come up we have the good the theme of a good God a uh, God that wants to talk to us a God who loves us a God who gives us good gifts one who brings freedom Reconciliation, light, all of that sort of good stuff. I, I love the light. I'm always happier in summer than I am in winter. and think that's a, it's a biblical thing. Um, and the other theme is repentance, and this isn't. This is a. This is a call to turn and to change our ways. It's sort of outlining what changed ways can look like and also going, these are the consequences for if we don't, right? So you can either have the choice to change or not, and there will be consequences either way. You'll either have the good gifts or not going to look so nice for you and um, get a bit called out by Jesus. And so that's sort of the overview, but we are going to zoom in. We're zooming in onto the woes of the Pharisees and the lawyers, which if you've read the book of Luke, I would imagine, because it's just this little part at the end of it, probably skipped over it a few times. I know I have. And some context for this, we have the Pharisees and the lawyers. The Pharisees are first century uh, Jewish religious leaders. uh, To clarify, they, a lot of them did have good intentions, especially originally when the Pharisees were set up. But they struggled to get and understand what God was doing. And ultimately, in this, good intentions became a bit of ego-seeking and a bit of uh, sort of us and them with a lot of people. And then the lawyers... These aren't like lawyers in the way that we have lawyers necessarily. They're lawyers in the way of they experts in the law. And so in Jewish culture, to be experts in the law is to be experts in the Mosaic law, which is Deuteronomy and Leviticus um, and Numbers specifically. So they're more like academics than they are like people that would go and like testify or like not testify, are. Uh, make a case for somebody to a judge. Um, Just to make sure we have the right paradigm. And overall in this, he's sort of calling them out for their hypocrisy and their ego-seeking and sort of ways that they have fallen out of step with God, even though they might have started in the right spot. And from this section, which is about which is a few verses, we're going to just zoom in on three. We're going to zoom in on Luke 11, 42 to 44, which says, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue in every herb and neglect justice in the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. And essentially, the Pharisees are being quite harshly called out here by Jesus. We're going to start with the bottom woe uh, and work our way up. Uh, (laughs) The words woe is going to become a bit weird after this. Uh, (laughs) Woe. Um, So woe to you for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. So for in Jewish law and Jewish culture, walking over a grave ceremonially defiled someone or like made them ritually unclean. So it would mean that they wouldn't be allowed to partake in a lot of the sacred practices and essentially the ways that they worship God um, with sacrifices and attending synagogue and temple. So it's kind of a big deal to be ritually unclean. And this counted if they walked over an unmarked grave as well would be a thing. Um, That would still happen. And so essentially what Jesus is saying to them is that they defile those that they come into contact with because without knowing, um, and without the other people knowing because of the way that they're fallen out of step with God, they're now leading people astray. And this is because they care more about the impression that they're giving than what they're actually doing or the meaning behind what they're doing. They care more about their ego, having the best seat in the synagogue and you know people knowing who they are in the marketplace, than caring about the things that God cares about. For them, it's about status. It's not about God. And then he calls this out really clearly about where they've fallen out at the beginning. And this is the issue. They're doing the outward signs of worship. They're tithing mint and rue and every herb, right? And that tithing is a part of worship. It's part of worship for them and it's still a part of worship for us. But they're doing what's almost like the easy stuff of worship because it's the stuff that other people can see that makes them look good, right? It's the stuff that gives them status. It's the stuff that helps them uphold the image that they want to present, but they're not doing it from the heart because they're not loving God and they're neglecting to do justice. And this is the part that I really want to focus in on, is that uh, for you, tithe mint and Timru every herb and neglect justice in the love of God. Because when we look at it, it's going, you do, that, you do the easy part of worship, you do the outward signs of worship, but you're not, you don't care about the heart. You're not doing what's at the heart. And Jesus' problem here, his problem with them and what they're doing, is that they're telling other people to do that stuff. They're preaching it. When they stand there and read out the Bible to the people, they're preaching that, right? That they are to be loving God, that they're to be doing justice. But they're not practicing it. They're not practicing what they are preaching. They know what they are meant to do. They know what is important and they're not doing it. And that sort of brings more condemnation upon them because they know better. They have no excuse of ignorance or anything like that. They know. And his issue isn't with tithing or with any of the other forms of worship where we can sort of turn up and somebody's done a lot of the work for us. His issue is that if you're only doing that part, then you're missing the point. You're missing the bigger picture of what, Worship is about, of what being in relationship with God is all about. And a big part of missing that is missing the love. And so he doesn't just leave them at, like, you do this and you don't do this. He is telling them what they need to do, right? He's giving them an instruction in that this is where you've gone wrong, so therefore this is how you do right, is by continuing to do the worship. You should have done. You should continue to do that one without neglecting the others. They should continue to worship and do justice and love God. And these things, it's because to have a good theology of worship, which leads to a good practice of worship, we need to have a better understanding of justice because that leads us to a better practice of justice which leads us into better worship because justice and worship are very, very linked, even though we don't always see it. But, and this is called out a lot in the Bible, in the Old Testament, where God is going, you do this, you tithe, you do your sacrifices, you lift up your pretty fragrances for me, but you don't care about the people and you don't care about me. So he's, he's going, these two things have to be done together. They have to be done in tandem. And this is because our worship to God flows from and builds into our practice, our love of God, and our doing justice. And it's about keeping what is the purpose of worship? Why do we worship? And then having a life dedicated to what that is. And that will look like a life where we show love to God and we do justice. And so some, it might be easier for us to get how worship can be loving God, right? It's sort of worship is kind of singing love songs to God. So that link seems a bit more clear. But might be sitting there going, okay, I get that. What do you mean by doing justice, Zoe? What do you get? I'm so glad that you asked. Um, I, could, I could talk about this for a really, really long time. Uh, but I won't because I don't have uh, the next three weeks. Uh, (laughs) uh, but justice is an expression of worship. To love God looks like doing justice, and worship is an expression of our devotion and love to God. This is why we sing songs of praise to him. This is why we tithe our money, showing our devotion to him. And those are both very, very important parts of it. But the practical elements of justice, especially what we think of as social justice, but what in the Bible is actually called justice justice, so it's like the most justice is what we call as social justice. So we separate it where the Bible sees it as like one whole thing. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But the practical elements of justice can also be a part of this. These are things like feeding those who are hungry or and giving them food, or clothing the naked, or giving water to the thirsty, giving money to the poor, is that is expressing our love to God through our love for others, because our love to God, our, our love for others is shaped by our love for God, right? We love others because God loved us. And justice is more than just an expression of worship but that's sort of a big area where they overlap is that sort of practical outworking. Worship can and is a part of the ultimate justice that God has for us and so we kind of need to get what that is, what does this mean and I think over the past year I've wrote my dissertation on truth and justice so I did a bit of Bible deep diving and one of the things I think that changed completely how I see truth and justice was looking at uh, some words and how they connect. Hi, I missed a slide. To love God looks like doing justice. <laughs> there you go. But um, justice and righteousness, uh, two words that are a lot more interlinked than we often give them credit for. And this to me sort of cracked open a whole lot of things and ways of thinking about justice for me this year. And this is biblically. So you have these words. You have mishpat and Sadak, which are the Hebrew words. And you have vaikasin and chrysis, which are Greek words. And these words, are, there are four words in the Bible that are all translated to justice, along with a few other things. And that's because and the, but the key things that they're translated to are justice and righteousness. Right? So right in the very heart of the word and what the word means in the bible when every time we read justice it's also we're reading righteousness and every time where we read about being righteous and God making us righteous in the righteousness of Christ we're also reading about justice right we following yeah awesome so To be right and made righteous for God, as it talks about a lot in the book of Romans, for example, means to be just or to be justified by God, right? But it also is a call that when we are called to be righteous, we are called to be just, right? So we're called to do something outward. It's not just inside us. It encapsulates everything that we do. And this is because justice is about right relationship with God. And by right relationship, I mean the relationship of with God that we're designed for, right? When we go back to how God created us, we're created to be in this intimate relationship with him. And part of that intimate relationship with him is expressed when we're singing these songs to him in worship and when we're tithing and being generous. And... That right relationship, that's what we're designed for. That's where we're designed to be living out of our whole life. And justice, being in right relationship with God, is God restoring us into that relationship over the course of our life. Justice and righteousness are the process of our coming back into relationship with God, that relationship that we are designed for, that we long for, that we need. Eh? So is that. And then going, there are a few ways that we can define biblical justice. Um, Because justice in the Bible, if you haven't already picked up, is a bit different from what we think of as justice. It covers so much more than who's right and who's wrong and arguing in a court of law and trying to figure out something beyond reasonable doubt. It is so much more than that. Biblical justice is about restoration, it's about redemption, and it's about reconciliation. It is about the entire process of the people involved in what went wrong and how we can get them back to being in a place where it's all right. It is focused on that restoring and redeeming and reconciling all relationships. That's our relationships with each other, our relationships with ourselves our relationship with God and our relationship with the earth, because these are all relationships that were broken in the fall. And this is what we're invited into being a part of, right? When he says you neglect to do justice, it means we're neglecting to enter into the entire story that God is doing. We're neglecting to be a part of what he wants us to do, which is restoring this world with him, right? This is a partnership that we're working on. And This is the way that he loves us, right? In the song we were singing this morning, it says, show me the way you love. And he does by restoring us, by redeeming us, by reconciling us, by uplifting everybody so that we can all be in relationship with him and in that right relationship, that relationship we were designed for. And this is what Jesus is doing in the cross and resurrection. It's one of the Jesus's crucifixion is one of the greatest acts of injustice. It was an unfair trial. It was no witnesses were called. It was complete mistrial and he died because of it. But out of that act of complete injustice, the greatest act of justice ever occurred. And because God is restoring and redeeming everything that he touches. And through that, we get the cross and the resurrection. And that is what allows us to enter into deeper relationship with God through the cross and resurrection. And then we're invited with God to work towards that and to be a part of that. He doesn't want it to just be Him doing all the work. He wants to do it with us because He designed us to help grow and cultivate the world with Him. We're called to be stewards of the earth, right? And this, this sounds huge, right? So much is involved in this. And you might be sitting there going, as I was, as I started putting this all together, being like, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, how am I even meant to, this is so big and I'm so small. How am I meant to be a part of it? And a huge part of it is remembering that this is a process. This is something that things are done over time as we partner with God. The little decisions that we make, who we notice, who we stop for, who we welcome who we ask to pray for, the fact that we pray for people, right? This is, that's all a part of doing justice. It's about a posturing and a mindset towards living out and walking the walk every day. What does it look like to walk as if you love a God that is constantly changing the world, right? What what would that actually look like if you let that revolutionize your life? And it looks like, seeing the one in front of you, right? There's a place we can start. And there is a lot more, a lot more that the Bible has to say on justice and biblical justice. But one thing in particular that can help us sort of get is like, what do we mean by who do we notice? Who do we stop for? Who are we welcoming? Is it gives us examples of these people that we should be stopping for and welcoming and noticing. And we should be doing that because they often aren't. And these examples are repeated throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, right? There are sort of four categories of examples. The first um, and the first one is the oppressed or the poor. Uh, these are essentially those who do not have enough in the way that the sort of defined and using the term impressed it comes up later by use of prophet Isaiah and that sort of thing and that's because it's referring more to the systemic reasons that people might be oppressed but when it's first mentioned in Deuteronomy it uses the word the poor. Uh, The other one is the stranger and so for the Israelites this meant those who they weren't familiar with in their land, right? So it was sometimes translated to the word foreigner. I prefer the term stranger because we don't, um, as Christians, we don't understand land boundaries in the same way because it's not about that specific country and land boundary. It's about everywhere that God's kingdom is. And essentially, it's about going a stranger, a people that you don't know right? It's about those who you don't know or recognize in a space where you might be expecting to recognize people, right? So at church, the stranger is a person who comes along and I'm here pretty much every Sunday. If I don't recognize you, then it's my duty to go over and become familiar with you so we're no longer strangers, right, is the person who's here more often. Um, you have the next two categories sort of go together. So you have the widow and the orphan. And those are sort of capturing these ideas of those who uh, might need support, who are going through grief, who are going through loss, who might have lost something that fundamentally changes the entire way they can live their life, right? For the widow, widows in the Bible, they, women weren't allowed to work in the same way. And so it meant they lost their entire security when their husband died. Um, and these, these categories still persist, persist for us today. We still have the oppressed and poor, the stranger, the widow, and the orphan. And sometimes it's just that we might use different labels for them, but they sort of still fit into that general category, someone who might not have something. So I sort of want to think about who are these people for us? Like, what is our modern-day equivalent of this person? who are and essentially, these are groups that were typically forgotten about by society. So who are those that, oh, that's bad English, sorry there. Um, who are those that are forgotten about by our society or that we forget in our life? And also, who are those that we judge for where they are instead of being just towards them, right? Because we aren't meant to be the ones passing judgment Because the judgment is always meant to be followed by the restoration and reconciliation and justice. And too often we'll do the judgment without doing the justice. So we should probably go the other way and do the justice without doing the judgment, leave the judgment to God. And so God cares for us and loves us. But he also cares for these people and loves these people. And justice is us loving them because God loves them because God made them because we're all made in the image of God, right? And so doing, doing justice is loving those who are hard to love, who we might have to uh, might find it difficult to love or care for, that we might judge for their condition or what we think they're going to do with the help that we give all sorts, but that's not our place. Our place is to do the justice, to do the restoration, restoring work. And we're not doing it alone. We're not doing it alone. This is all in partnership with God, right? We're not doing it out of our own strength, or our own resources, because on our own, we have no strength and resources. We're doing it out of God's strength and resources. So we're going to tie all of the things together. um, A strand of worship, of our love for God and justice and sort of bring it all together. So worship is an expression of our devotion and love to God, right? Mm -hmm. This is our faith, is, you know, our devotion and love to God. That's the foundation of a lot of our faith, right, is that we have a God who died and rose again for us, and because of that, we love him. Um, And faith, if not accompanied by action, is dead, and so let us love then with action and in truth, instead of just in words and empty speech. Those two things, taken from James and First John, where he talks about those. Then have in uh, John 4:11 and 1 John 4:11 and 1 John 4:29. He says, "Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another, and we love because He first loved us." So our love for God propels us into loving somebody else, right? It never stays just here with me. It's never just about me. I am saved for a community, and I am saved by the community of God for the community of the people that he loves, right? So it's always about going forward and going out to the other. And so if our worship is an expression of our devotion and love to God, and our love to God is meant to propel us to love others, then worship is loving those who God loves. And that is doing justice. In the biblical sense, is loving those who God loves. And so that is to express our worship is also to do justice. If we're only doing part of worship, we're missing the point. And God God is just with us and just towards us as he wants to restore our relationship with him. And we are a part of that, both of us, both God and me are a part of us restoring our relationship together. Otherwise, it becomes a really one-sided relationship. God can only do so much, I have to at least say yes. And part of that partnership with us, between me and God, is he then is then going out into the world and helping him restore his relationship with other people, right? We're called to be Jesus' hands and feet. We're not called to be the brain, not called to do that, the thinking of like, how am I meant to do this? We're just called to do, do it, right? And he'll, he'll do the thinking. And we aren't going to fully restore any one person's relationship with God. There is always a role and responsibility that they have to play in that, and that God plays in that. But we're meant to play a part in God's restoration with the the other people. And we're meant to play a part in God's restoration of our relationship with ourselves. We're meant to play a part in God's restoration of the entire earth, right? And we start by noticing people, by talking to them, by stopping for them, by being there for them, right? Following is a lot but the heart of it is that it God the reason it is so sad that the Pharisees neglected justice and their love of God is because it meant they were neglecting to love their neighbor and love the Lord their God right and that means that they they had missed the entire point of the good news for the Israelites and was missing the entire point of the good news of what God was doing then. And we don't we don't want to miss it, right? We want to be a part of it. We want to see that restoration. That's part of what praying for revival is, is praying for that restoration. And there are lots of different spaces that we might feel like we need that restoration. And as as I've been praying over this talk in the past week, there have sort of been three groups coming to mind so there are those that are in need of that personal uh, restoration relationship with God it might be that you have never partaken in that yourself so you don't really know what it would look like but you feel that maybe maybe now is the time to take that step or it might be disappointed prayers or that sort of thing where you're just going there There is something broken in my relationship with God at the moment that needs fixing, even though I do have a relationship. Or it might be that you don't really know what a relationship with God is, but that's part of it being restored. There are those who find it hard that there are spaces that they know that they're called to in life that are in need of reconciliation and restoration. Um... And it might be a space that's hard to step into, so you know you need to step into it. Or it might be that there are broken relationships in your life that are in need of that reconciliation and restoration and you just, you can't do it on your own. You need to step into that partnership. And then there are those who like, yeah, totally want to do more and partner with God in that. No idea where to start, no idea where to start, right? so I'm going to get us all to stand up, right, (laughs) following, and if you feel like you don't fit into one of those categories, don't, don't worry, they might not, but that doesn't mean this is the end for you, Um, God's still doing more, (laughs) so for those in need of that relational restoration, whether that's never stepping into it before, or you feel that you need, there's some work that needs to be done with you and God in that space. Then I'm going to ask you to make your way over to where the cross is. Um, For those that find it hard, and there are the spaces and relationships where they need that relational restoration, um, or the space where they know they need to step into it, but that's really hard because it's a certain vulnerability that's required in that. And I'm going to ask you to make your way to the drum kit. Um... And for those that want to do more and partner with God in that space, then you want to move to sort of just the front aisle area. Okay, you can move.